Maybe it's been that kind of day. I've got about 50 other things on my mind, so let me start trying to tick them off. The first one is this, friends, and um, the, I might embarrass them, but God bless them, okay? Miss Jennifer Walker is right over here. Jennifer, raise your hand. Or Nate, just you see Nate sticking up. Nate's a big fella. And then Andrew, and then Miss Olivia. Um, We've been praying for Mitch Walker, the gentleman who, while he was changing a tire on a semi-truck on the interstate in Missouri, was hit by a car. And this is his family, Jennifer and Nate and Andrew and Olivia. We've had the privilege of having them staying in our house the last two nights and visiting with them as they've been here to visit Mitch at Madonna Rehab Hospital. The very first time I met him a few weeks ago, he said his goal was to be healthy enough that he can get in a wheelchair and come to worship at Southview on Easter Sunday. Folks, he's had a setback due to infection, and he's got a ways to go, but we need to pray that man that two weeks from today he can be in this place for the glory of God. Amen? They've already seen miracles in Mitch's life. And if you want to hear about them, you just need to talk to anybody on his family. I'm not going to preach of the miracles of Mitch right now. I'm going to preach Jesus, okay? But Jesus is alive and well. One part of his story is that he's a former soldier and that they moved back to Missouri in order that he might plant a church at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And so any of you that are former soldiers or have anybody in your family that lives in that area or has been through that area, you'll especially want to talk to the Walker family. Let me lead us in prayer for Brother Mitch, for their family, and for everything that's to follow in these next minutes as I preach today. Our Father in heaven, we come before you in the powerful name of Jesus. I know in that name you've already done miracles in Mitch's life. The very fact that he's alive is a miracle. The fact that he's grown bone back is a miracle. The fact that he's survived all these surgeries is a miracle. And God, I cannot imagine what you have ahead for him. It grieves me to think what he has gone through and what he still has to go through. It makes me question. It makes me wonder. But God, I trust in your goodness and I trust in your sovereignty. And I pray that even now our brother Mitch is encouraged as he's laying across town in Madonna Rehabilitation Hospital. And I pray that his family is encouraged by their time with us. And that as often as they come back to Lincoln, Nebraska, they know that it's not just the place that helped get their daddy back on his feet, but it's a place where people love Jesus and serve one another. So, Father, thank you for allowing us to be a small part of their story. But most of all, Father, we pray that you would burden us to pray and that you would answer our prayers for your glory, that you would show your power in the life of Mitch Walker, Not because he's a big, tough guy, because you are an awesome and loving God. So we praise you, Father, for what you're going to do in the walkers' lives and the church they will plant. And we praise you, Father, for what you're going to do through this church, Southview, in the week ahead and the years ahead for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. We're going to talk about giving to grow today. Not so much the offering part of it, but the strategic part of it. So if you are our guest and you've never been here before, this will be a bit of a different sermon because it's not going to be expository, word by word, phrase by phrase, or verse by verse. This is going to be more one where we talk about the strategy of our church for the year ahead 
and the audacious goal that God has given me to share with you because we're going to do it together for the glory of God. The reason we're preaching a sermon series starting two weeks from now on Easter Sunday, Better Together, is that's the way God's made us. And I've seen again and again and again as a believer in Jesus, as a pastor, and particularly the pastor of this church, when we work together and we fill each other's gaps and we complement and complete one another, we can do things together that we could never do alone. Amen? And so we're going to look at that even today, and we're going to talk today about growing more Christ followers, growing more Christ followers. And if you haven't already turned in your Bible, turn to the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 through 20 will be our key text today, and we're just going to spend a little time there because we've got to talk about all these other things that is one of those deals where I go, it's not a regular sermon, but you know, I got to communicate this to everybody. And when's the time when everybody is together? It's this time. When's the time when everybody is listening or, or wait, are they getting that new app that Chris told them about? It should be this time, right? Because it'll only take you like 60 seconds to download the app and you know, you got another 30 minutes plus to listen to me. So if you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, would you do so now as we read what we know as the Great Commission, Jesus speaking in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Don't you hear Jason Moore saying this? Yeah. It happens in our Easter pageant. Yeah, if you, you come, come back on Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday at 7, or, you know, the matinee at 3, or just be in it, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You could be seated. When we think about these words that we call the Great Commission, what Jesus told his gathered disciples soon before he, after he resurrected from the dead, but soon before he ascended into heaven to be seen no more until he returns in the future to welcome his church to eternity in heaven, he gave these words. And we are growing Christ followers at a church. It is what we do. We seek to grow Christ followers. It is who we are. We are growing Christ followers. And this passage captures that. Notice what Jesus says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is a little bit Pauline, right? He wants to cover both bases, both sides of creation. In the heavens, the things we don't know, and the earth, the things we do know. Everywhere he is, he has the authority, and all means all. Can I get an amen? All means all. And he says, therefore, anytime you see a therefore, you know what the cliche is, right? You got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? He says, therefore, because he has all authority, because God sent him on mission, because they were to establish a church to spread his gospel across the uh, nations, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And as you go, you're to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and you're to teach them to do everything he commanded. So we've got to go back and take a look at this, but 
One more thing. Look at the end of verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Think about this short passage of Scripture. Verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the beginning of his pronouncement here. That's one bookend. On the other end, he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's the other bookend. What do you hear in those bookends? Sovereignty, authority, power. Jesus is saying to his church, those that heard him then, us that hear him today, I got this. You trust me. You do what I say. You go where I go and you follow me and I'm going to take care of everything for you. I think where we get in trouble is when we try to do it ourselves, right? Got a few amens there. The rest of you were like, yeah, he got me. Jesus promises us that he's always with us. He has the authority. He has the power. And he will accomplish his mission as we follow him. But let's look back in verse 19. The heart of this command is what we have translated, make disciples. Make disciples. But the better translation, if you look back in a historical theological approach, in the way that scripture has been translated in the Greek, the better translation is win disciples. It's evangelism. Because in order for them to grow as disciples or Christ followers, they have to be one as disciples first. In order to win them, you have to go. So look, first you go, then you win them. So therefore go and make, i.e. win disciples, of who? All nations. That's actually all peoples, every tribe and every tongue. It doesn't mean that you have to go around the world as a missionary in order to win a disciple. Do you know somebody that's different than you that lives near you? Yes. You know, in America, all of us have different ancestry. I just did one of those things, and, uh, you know, 60% of my ancestry is German. I, I think we knew that. A, about 20% of my ancestry is Scotch or Irish. Uh, we knew that. But here's the one that surprised me. 2.3% of my ancestry is Portuguese. Don't I look swarthy in Portuguese? I mean, I can say, bo dia. You know, I just said, good day in Portuguese, right? I mean, I can say, bo noite. That's good night in Portuguese. I mean, I got the Portuguese going on. Don't you see Portuguese when you see this? No. You see a yehu that needs to go on with the sermon. So let's move on with the sermon. No matter that, my point is that everybody's got a little bit of something in them, especially if you're a white American. You're mainly European, but you got all kinds of something. And so we're to make disciples of all peoples. And as we win them, we then baptize them. We are a Baptist church. We are known by what we do, baptized by immersion. The Bible says to do it. It says, and teach them. So there's this process of growing Christ's followers. You go in order to share the message. You win them because they've heard the message and said, yes, I'm convinced that Jesus is God. I want to trust him as my personal Savior and Lord. And then you baptize to symbolize that they have believed in Jesus and accepted the message. And then you teach them to follow the message of Jesus and take that message to other people and repeat and repeat and repeat. And they told two friends and they told two friends and they told two friends and so on and so on, like the old hair commercial, right? 
So what's our first point there? Is that growing Christ followers is our purpose. It's who we are as a church. We are growing Christ followers. It's who we are. It's what we do. And it's how we live in response to the Great Commission. And we do it repeatedly. It's a lifestyle. It's not one witness one time, not one person one time, and then I'm excused as if I've got my hours. You know, kids in LPS these days have to volunteer, and they have to volunteer a certain amount of hours, and wherever they volunteer, they've got to get them to sign off on it. Some of us treat church that way, right? Okay, I served in Easter pageant, and I served, you know, all those rehearsals and five different nights, and okay, I'm done for the year. Thanks. I'm checking out. I'll see you guys next March. Is that the way it's supposed to be? Growing Christ followers, you go, you share to win, you baptize, you teach, and you keep repeating the process. It's a lifestyle. It's how we live. It's not I serve one way or one time and I'm done. It's who I am. Did you know in the Great Commission that even the verbs used there are continuous? They're perfect tense verbs. So it's you go always. You win disciples, always. You baptize disciples, always. You teach disciples, always. It's not anything we get to stop. It's a lifestyle. It's ongoing. It's a purpose. It's who we are. It's what we do. So our question is, what are we doing now? Our first question there is, what are we doing now? What are we doing now is our first question. Well, you look around. We come for um, Sunday mornings. I was talking to one of my Catholic friends who I believe is a believer in Jesus, but I want a little more proof, right? And there are uh, believers in Jesus who we'll see in heaven in the Catholic church, and there are others that are deceived by the church, and they're following the church, but they're not, they don't know Jesus personally as their Savior. And if you want to talk about that, let's talk uh, privately. But this friend of mine, I was talking to him recently, and uh, he said to me, so like, how long do you study for your sermon? I said, man, I put in hours every week. And, um, uh, you know, and he came to my office once and he saw my books. He said, wow, you got a lot of books in here. I'm like, yeah, this is how I study for a sermon. You know, you Catholic guys, they give you a book and the guy just basically reads the sermon and adds something in it. I write my own sermon every week. He says, you do that every week? He said, that's crazy. I said, no, man, here's the difference. You guys as Catholic believe you're going to get salvation by the sacraments. We believe we've already got our salvation through Jesus and what's instrumental for us and what grows us as believers in Jesus. Therefore, what is central to our worship is not only the songs we sing and the offerings we give, but it is the study of God's word, the bread of life that feeds us and strengthens us as believers in Jesus. That's why the sermon is central to our worship. That's why I spend so much time studying, and that's why I get 30 plus minutes every Sunday to preach. Amen? Okay, there you go. Because we believe in God's word. We have Sunday school for all ages, from children right on up to the oldest senior saints. They call themselves the seasoned class. Bill Long referred to them as the last class before heaven. Bill Long was studying Greek in his 80s so he could teach the Bible more precisely because it's that serious, Pastor. I don't want to go wrong when I teach my class in Sunday school because we're the last class before heaven. He's the one that said that to me. We have a wana. 
Why do we spend so much time, effort, and energy on Wednesday nights and all through the year? And Sandy Hansen, God bless her, she puts in more time than we can imagine. And she does it because she believes in the transformational power of God's Word. And though Awana has game time, which is totally cool and teaches the kids how to follow rules and work together and other great things like that, and it has council time, which teaches them a Bible story, the heart of Awana is memorizing Scripture, hiding God's Word in your heart. And why do we have Awana? Because it's central to who we are and what we do and how we make disciples. Half the kids that come to our Awana are not even church members. Why their church doesn't do it? They don't have the people the, uh, uh, or the heart or the effort, but we do because we believe in it. We have a student pastor on staff. I'm so thankful to have Pastor David Chatwell serve alongside with us. And I can talk about him now because I think he's in the nursery this morning. Yeah, so just tell him I talk nice about him, okay? I don't know how much you've been around Pastor David. I mean, you hear him do announcements. He's kind of shy and doesn't necessarily want to preach a sermon. But the man is a man of godly character and such insight. He compliments me so well and adds so much to our staff. And I am so very thankful for Pastor David Chatwell. To call him my brother and to call him my friend and have an office right next door to him so that when I need counsel, guess where I go? I go say, "Uh, David, you got a little bit of time. I need to talk to you. And every now and then I have to close my door because I need to have a confidential conversation about something that's going on in my heart, in my life. Who do I turn to? David. Pastor David. We have a student pastor because we believe in discipling teenagers. When they're trying things out, when they're figuring things out, not every church does that, but we believe in it, so we do it. David also has the discipleship title in his job description to do that. We do all sorts of special events through the year. Pageant, vacation Bible school, trunk or treat. Why do we do those? To, not just to entertain people, but to lead them to Jesus. That's what we're doing now. But how are we doing is a question. How are we doing? Is your next question up there? How are we doing? Well, that was last week's sermon, so go back and listen to podcast if you weren't here, right? You can subscribe on iTunes or whatever else you use for your podcast, or you can listen to it from our website. But how are we doing? We talked about our natural church development survey, and we've seen improvements in our church health overall. Inspiring worship is off the charts, and it's been amazing to see what Miss Myra Bowden has been able to do and how we have responded to her leadership as our worship leader, and I'm so thankful for her. And to see how our holistic small groups, our Sunday school, even though they're still the lowest uh, of our scores, has improved dramatically from last year to this year under Pastor David's leadership and with the leadership of all the volunteers of our Sunday school classes that give their heart, their life, their time, and their effort week in and week out. But here's the big one for us. Your second major point on your outline is growing 20% is our goal. Growing 20% by June 1st, 2020. Now, you look around and you go, uh, Pastor Aaron, for any church to grow 20% in one year, that's crazy. Let me tell you how we're going to do that. It's called the 20 by 20 plan, and we'll have a point about that in a minute. But let me give you some numbers. Last year, we averaged a little more than 210, about 217 people in worship on every Sunday. And we averaged not quite 140 in Sunday school. About 65%. Previously, we've averaged up to 80% or more in Sunday school. Uh, That's all of our age Sunday school classes. But did you know we have 37 people on our um, Sunday school roles 
that did not attend once between September through December. Did you know that we have 85 people who are regular church attenders, we see them in worship, that are not enrolled in a Sunday school class? And so maybe they occasionally visit, but most of the time they walk out the door before Sunday school. That's 122 people. If you get one-fifth of them to stick around more and come more often, you got our 20%, right? Uh, You got half of it anyhow. So that's part of it, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So 20% is our goal, but the second or the first question there for you is, why such an audacious goal? I use the word audacious on purpose because, well, it's audacious. It's a cool word. But when I was looking at where we were as a church when I received our Natural Church Development Survey results in November, and I was praying about where we should be as a church, God said to me, you can grow 20% in the next year. And I went, you got to be kidding me. I mean, literally, I had a throwdown argument with God in my office. And I went back and forth for days, for weeks, before I even admitted it to anybody else. And then I shared it with the staff with some timidity. God told me this. I'm not sure we could do this, but we're looking at it. We could go, yes, we can. Your next question is, how will we meet such a goal? And I already gave you a hint of that, how we will meet such a goal. Let's move on to our third point. And that is the 20 by 20 plan. Growing 20% by, 20, uh, by June 1st, 2020. So a little more than a year's time, 14 months time from right now, right? In 14 months time, I believe we can grow 20% in the next 14 months. We've never grown 20% since you've been pastor, Aaron. How in the world are we going to do that? Well, we're going to tell you. Your first point here is that is 20% more people by June 1, 2020. 20% more people by June 1, 2020. And we've got a strategic plan, the 20 by 20 plan, and I'm going to outline part of it for you this morning. So here's the first one. The first one is connecting folks who already call Southview home. Back to the first one. Thank you. Connecting folks who already call Southview home. That's the folks I told you about. That's the 85 and the 37. The 121 folks, or 122, excuse me, are already affiliated with Southview in one way or the other. That if we're a little more intentional about saying, hey, how are you? Hey, have you considered joining a Sunday school class? Oh, you can't come on Sunday at 11 because you work? How about we find you a Bible study during the weeknight where you can grow together with somebody else as a believer in Jesus? That's not going to work for you. Can we connect you one-on-one or in a small group with just three or four people that we're intentional about connecting one another, uh, others? You know, Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And our love for one another needs to be exercised and effort for one another and the time we take. And that's your scripture verse for point number one, by the way. We're not going to be one verse at all. John 13, 34, and 35, write that one down that we can do this as we reach out to folks. The second point is guiding guests to membership and members to relationships and ministry. This is what we call a connection ministry. 
And there's still ideas on this, and we haven't put too many into practice because we've had all sorts of other things going on with giving to grow that I'm going to talk more about uh, here in a few moments. But guiding guests to membership and members to relationships. Your verse to support this one would be Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. I preached about that one recently. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, Let us consider... How, may we, may, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds and not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more as we see the day approaching. That we should have, and thanks to Planning Center, have a more intentional process to take when somebody turns in a yellow card that they get a call from me, they get a call from a deacon, they get a visit from me and or a deacon, they get a call from a, a Sunday school teacher, and so on and so on and so forth. And we follow up with them. And then once somebody is a member, to get them connected in relationships through a Sunday school class, through Bible studies, and into ministry where God has called them to serve. So that's our second point. The third one is that inviting everyone in our sphere of influence. Acts 1.8 says that we will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what Jesus told us to do, to be witnesses, to share his message. So we need to be more intentional about inviting people. Why am I telling you to pick up a Better Together card and uh, a card or whatever else from this day of erection and invite everybody else? The number one factor in growing churches that causes them to grow is that their people invite folks that they meet. You don't even have to know them well. You can just meet them and, you know, hey, first time I met you, hey, man, why don't you come to my church? You got to hear what Jesus is doing here. And, you know, invite people. Make it who you are, that a culture of invitation is who we are, that we're inviting people in our sphere of influence. And you can't just be one and done. You've got to invite them again and again and again and again. As such, you know, we'll continue to use social media to promote our special sermon series and special events, but then we'll print invitation cards so you can hand them out. If it turns out that people are like, no, I don't want the card or nobody comes because of the card, then we won't do that so much. But we got to try it out so that we'll know. The fourth point of our 20 by 20 plan is reaching out to our community. Reaching out to our community. We believe what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9, and 10. Write that down. 2 Peter 3, 9, and 10 is true. That God's not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness to be. He doesn't want anyone to perish. And so we've got to use all the means possible to us to reach out to our community. We've got to do a better job reaching out to the Indian Village Neighborhood Association. We've got a partnership that's already started with McPhee Elementary. Why McPhee? Because God put it together like only God can. Uh, with me and the principal of McPhee, and we've already got uh, six volunteers serving weekly at McPhee in one of the poorest, neediest schools in our Lincoln Public School District. And our goal is that by August, we have 30 Southview members serving at least one hour a week at McPhee Elementary, and we make an eternal difference in the lives of those children, their families, and the staff at McPhee Elementary. It's one way we can reach out. It's a simple thing you can do, and it's so much fun. This week, I had a little girl, the one with blue hair, not the one that licked me, but the one with blue hair, and she was like giving me the business, like she didn't want to do what we're supposed to do, because I'm there for guided reading, right? And um, 
So she finally, because I'm just praying, God, help her decide to read because I'm not going to say anything to convince her. She finally opens a book, and there's four sentences on the first page. There's 20 words. And she reads them slowly and haltingly, and I'm like, yes, give me a fist bump. You did great. She says, you read the other page. I'm like, I'm on it. So I read it slowly, and I pronounced the words. We turn the next page. She's starting to get words. She's starting to get things that she missed before. I'm like, hey, time out. Let me show you how to read this one right here. It's two words put together, a compound word. And I'm not a genius. I've not been trained as a teacher. I just know how to read, and I love people, right? And I really want this little girl to, like, have a win today. And by the end of the book, she's like, but up, but up, but up, but up, but up. And I'm like, yeah, she did it. Could you give an hour of your week to do that? Sure you could. It's amazing. But that's one part of reaching our community. Let me tell you something else that's really cool. We've had this idea for a couple years because Tom Millett, the general manager of Bot Radio Network here in Lincoln, approached me. He said, hey, Aaron. I read some of your blog posts. Those would be perfect for like devotional posts and a 90-second spot on our radio. And he said, by the way, do you know that half of all the people that listen to bot radio regularly don't attend church regularly? The best place to advertise to find Christ followers who might be uh, come to your church if they know about you is Christian radio. I was like, dude, that's a crazy statistic. And that's also sad. But we had somebody give a special gift. And starting this Tuesday... Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening, Thursday morning, and Thursday evening, I'll be on the radio for just 90 seconds. The first week here, I'm going to talk about, hey, come to this day of resurrection. The next week, I'm going to talk about, hey, come to Better Together. And then after that, I'll have these devotional type posts that are, you know, howdy, it's Pastor Aaron or something like that, and then come to Southview. We're going to see what God will do. For the next year, we're going to be on the radio four times a week, morning drive, evening drive. And we're going to see if just by putting our message out there to people who are seeking Jesus or already Christ followers, some more might come to our church. Totally cool. One more way to reach out to our community. Let's move on to the fifth point. Is sharing the gospel with those apart from Christ. Sharing the gospel from those apart from Christ. I already told you a few weeks ago, I'll say it again in case you weren't here, in case you weren't listening. In October, we're going to have our entire church go through a, an evangelism strategy. We're going to train you how to do that. We're going to focus it on Sunday school. If your class leader wants to do it, we're going to talk about it from the pulpit. We're going to give you opportunity to practice. So some of you are going, don't come to church in October. No, you should come. Because all of us, remember, our job is to go in order to share the message, to win people of the message, to baptize people because of the message, and to teach people to do the same thing we just did. It's who we are as growing Christ followers and helping others to grow as Christ followers. And sharing the gospel should be second nature for us. Yeah, we're not all going to be a preacher. We're not going to go stand on the corner. Uh, we're not going to you know, preach uh, in the university or anything like that but with your friends, with your neighbors, to have a plan to share the gospel. The sixth point here is improving our facilities. Improving our facilities. And that's part of giving to grow. Now, my wife was clever enough to ask me, you know, so um, she's pretty clever. You guys know that, right? She says, giving to grow is on our offering envelope. So next week when we have our special offering, can they just use the offering envelope or do they have to use the green card? I'm like, dude, Thanks, Melanie. I don't care how they give it, just how they give it, right? We have these green cards that those of you that are members or regular attenders would have received in the mail. And you can put on there next Sunday to bring it back with you, your one-time gift or your pledge of uh, a certain amount in the year or your pledge of a monthly amount for the next year's time. We want you to give from this 
uh, April 14th to next year, April 14th. One year, we want you to give. But next week when you turn it in, you can use one of these offering envelopes. As a matter of fact, you should use an offering envelope if you're giving a special gift next week because our counters will count that. Remember, next week is Celebration Sunday. We're asking you to give, but we're also, and we're going to have a special worship service in which we uh, give those offerings and give our pledge cards at the end of the worship service. But then we're also going to have fellowship for kids from nursery hour for all ages. Not even children are not even nursery are going to be in Sunday school. You pick up your kids from nursery at 11 o'clock. You bring them in to our continental breakfast, our children's hallway. Once all the kids are out of the children's hallway, we're going to go back. And if you haven't toured it already, you're going to see how beautiful our children's hallway looked with the new paint, the new carpet and all that. And then our counters are going to come back in and tell us how much money you gave for giving to grow, how much money you pledged for giving to grow. And here's the best part. I had somebody contact me that heard about our giving to grow, and our need in our church, which now, once we did the math, is actually $185,000 more than we have right now. We have $125,000. We need three hundred and ten, So $185,000 more. Had somebody contact me a few weeks ago after I mentioned it in the pulpit. They heard me talk about it. And they said, Pastor Aaron, we'd like to give a matching gift of $70,000. So whatever you give over the next year's time, will be matched dollar for dollar up to $70,000. Gets us most of the way to our goal. I mean, isn't that amazing? God's given us different means. God's given us, uh, you know, but he's provided for all of us. And all of us, although we may not give equal amounts, we can give with equal sacrifice. We can give to the purpose of growing our church. Because when you look around, yeah, we need to fix that ceiling. But we're going to do the bathrooms first. The bathrooms will be done starting June 17th. We're going to have porta potties on the parking lot, but that's okay because for a few weeks we're going to use the porta potties on the parking lot, and everybody's going to go, why are there porta potties on their parking lot? Because God's doing something at our church. People gave money, and we're refurbishing those bathrooms. I mean, from the concrete and the studs out, they're going to be brand new. It's going to be awesome. And then we're going to redo the kitchen. It was the number two thing on our list behind this ceiling. I was so surprised when we surveyed the church that people said we need to redo the kitchen. So that's the next thing. We're going to pay as we go. And the third thing we're going to do is our sanctuary. We're going to completely refinish the ceiling since we know we got the roof leap fixed. And we're going to paint the ceiling, paint the walls, finish the hallways on the side that have had leaks as well. Those are fixed as well. And paint those as well. We're not going to do the carpet or the pews yet because the people that do those things said, you don't need these done. You need a little bit. You don't need to replace them all. Besides, replacing the pews would cost $100,000 alone. We're not going there yet. But we're going to improve our facilities. And giving to grow is part of that. And you giving starting next week and capitalizing and maximizing on our matching gift is part of that. Now, here's our seventh and final point. Any of these things we do don't mean nothing. That's my Texan coming out. Any of these things we do don't mean nothing without the last point, imploring God to bring revival to our hearts and church. Friends, we can do all the right things and we can say we're doing them for all the right reasons. But unless our hearts are right before Jesus and unless he has stirred us up to have faith in him, to love him, to love others and to sacrifice ourselves on behalf of the others in an otherish way, we can't do anything. So I used a strong word there, imploring. That means to beg God to bring revival to our hearts individually and to our church. Don't you dare sit in your pew and say, hey, God, revive that guy over there. 
look in the mirror. God, revive me. God, show me the sinfulness in my life, the pride in my life, where I need to confess, where I need humility, where I need to give of myself, what I can sacrifice. Revive me, God. When I first wrote out this strategic plan, I have to confess to you. I got done and I looked at it and I went, that's pretty good. Thanks, God. And I tweaked it some and did this, that, and the other. And I, oh, I still like that. That's pretty good. And then I presented it to our leaders at the servants' meeting. And one wise person said, um, Pastor Aaron, what about prayer? You got me. And, you know, I thought about it briefly. I was like, ah, prayer's not a strategy. You don't put prayer on a strategic plan. But the person was totally right. What about prayer? If we don't emphasize prayer, if we don't emphasize changing our hearts through revival, if we don't emphasize confession of our own sins, what's any of the rest of it worth it? We've got to implore God to bring Revival to our hearts, to our church, to change who we are. We've got our scripture memory verse for the month that reminds us in part about prayer. And that's James 5.16. Let's say it all together with the reference, the verse, and the reference again. James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James 5, 16. Let's pray. God, if we admit it, that scripture verse freaks us out. We don't want to confess our sins to somebody else and have them know what's wrong with us. And... If we're past that part, the whole getting healed part, that kind of worries us too. Can you do that, God? Would you do that, God? We're sitting up in here with Mitch Walker's family, and you've already done miracles in his physical body. You can do it, God. You will do it, God. For your glory, if we ask you. So, God, our Father, we come before you humbly as your servants, and we're asking you, starting today, to do something in our hearts, to do something in our church that will surprise us all. That the amount we give next Sunday and the way we serve in the next year with intentionality, with heart, with passion, with humility, and with an otherish, Christ-like love will surprise even the most jaded among us. God, make us who you intend us to be as we give ourselves to you. So our Father in heaven, we pray today. This wasn't an evangelistic message, but if there's anybody here that needs to trust Christ as their Savior today, they do it. And they let us know that we can celebrate with them. If there's anybody here that needs to unite with this church family, they'd walk down the aisle today. If there's anybody here that you're calling to surrender something, or confess something, they do it today. Whatever it is, God, would we be humble before you, we pray in Jesus' name.